I love Jared Allen. Fear the frog. How with the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. <laughs> Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome in week two of the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm doing this on Monday, August 16th. So while technically the Vegas Summer League isn't done, for all intents and purposes, it is done. Evan Mobley has been shut down. Isaac Okoro has been shut down. We're in that period where I've already made my rash judgments about people, and one game is probably not going to change that. So I apologize if something heinous happens uh, this evening. It won't be reflected on this podcast, but I'll certainly do another anyway. So now to recap the Cleveland Cavaliers and what we saw out of Evan Mobley. I guess the question is, was Evan Mobley's summer league showing a disappointment? For all of us Cavs fans, we don't feel that way. Because if you saw him on the court, you certainly saw glimpses of all the special, unique skills that he brings to the table. The way he impacts people's desire to go to the rim. His passing. This is not just a a big man who's going to be throwing in hook shots and cleaning up buckets and doing the dirty work. This isn't a Jared Allen type. This is a guy who likes the ball on the elbows and the high block, and he likes to facilitate. Dribble handoffs, backdoor passes. There was a lot of promise just seeing how aware Mobley was, which is good because it helps offset the disappointment or I don't know if disappointment is really the right word but certainly it would have been nice to see more out of him offensively when you compare him to some of the other guys out there who just want bananas like Cam Thomas or Jalen Green or some of these other guys who were dropping 20 point games with regularity but that didn't happen for Mobley his percentages weren't great he was shooting in the teens from three-point percentage and in the 30 percent range for his field goal percentage. But he was clearly the first option, and they were giving him a lot of chances to work from different spots on the floor. The first game, it was deep in the post. The hope is, alongside better competition, the looks he does take are going to be sure things, and that his game-long impact will be felt defensively and with his ability to generate offense for other people. We knew he was a project, but... Mobley has the type of length and defensive impact and just ability to make other guys better that make him a project worth waiting out. I'm excited to go into the season seeing him alongside Allen, seeing him alongside Sexton and Garland and Okoro because I think the chances that he looks tremendously better alongside guys who command attention and who command respect and who can make people pay when he gets him those passes are great, quite frankly. And it was a constant point of frustration watching him call for the ball and get waved off or get ignored. And I realize in summer league, these guys are playing for a job. Broderick Thomas is going to do things like dominate the ball maybe more than he should or go to the rim more than he should or look for his own number more than he should but it can be frustrating to watch it's yet another reminder that the one thing that Mobley doesn't have in his favor a lot of the other high profile draft picks do is that he can't give the ball to himself and he's not a point guard he's not going to be the primary ball handler 
So a lot of his success will be dictated by how good people are at getting him the ball in his spots and taking advantages of the mismatches. For the rest of the roster, we're debating things like Blewett, Orion, both guys who looked like serviceable sharpshooters. But again, those are really not the guys that I hope end up on the roster. They, they were fine. I didn't love Broderick Thomas. Fiondu, I'm sure he'd be a serviceable emergency big. But ideally, coming out of this summer league, most of what we took is Okoro took a leap. Mobley looks promising. And we go into the season looking to shore up some of those emergency roster filler, you know, spot minute types. I would love to see the Cavs bring Hartenstein back because there really isn't anything that we saw out of Fiondu that would make me feel like he's the guy that should be there. If both these guys turn out to be minimum contract level players, Hartenstein apparently conducted a workout for different teams, which the Cavs were in attendance for in Vegas. But barring some kind of big offer coming in from another team, I think the Cavs should bring him back. I would much prefer him to Fiondu. It's to be seen whether or not that happens. Now, as far as Ryan and Blewett, those guys are going to be there. If we want to bring them in during the season on 10 days, I can't imagine there's people who are going to be pounding down their door. I'm still hopeful that the Cavs bring in Sfi. I've moved on mentally in my mind from Josh Hart because at some point, this is just so stretched out that I have to imagine they're going to come to terms with him in New Orleans and he's going to remain there. Although, it is interesting to see how well Trey Murphy has played in New Orleans during this summer league. With him being a you know 6'9", small forward, shooting guard combo type who can hit three-pointers, maybe they'll prioritize his development and they won't feel as much need to bring Hart back because they still have Nikhil Alexander-Walker in place and they still have Kyra Lewis and, of course, they have Devontae Graham. I, In the back of my mind, I feel like we're going to see Hart back in New Orleans. So that does it for Summer League. And now it's just a matter of what kind of little minor roster moves are we going to see between now and when preseason begins. That brings us to the rest of Summer League. There were plenty of guys who stood out amongst the rookies. Even if Evan Mobley had a relatively quiet and shortened Summer League showing, there were plenty of guys who had fantastic Summer League showings. Guys worth talking about and guys worth looking around. So, I've decided, without further ado, to present the Summer League 7. Now, I arbitrarily just picked seven guys. I don't know why. I think it's because I was on my way to 10, and there's just a bunch of guys that I was equally impressed with, kind of down near the bottom, but I didn't really want to make a distinction. Truthfully, number seven on this list, I probably could have lumped in there. But there were a handful of guys who really stood out, and number one. First and foremost, Jalen Green, a guy that a lot of the Cavs fan base was hopeful would be the guy we took, but it became pretty apparent early on that the Rockets were locked in on him. And at that point, it was full steam ahead for Mobley. But Jalen Green did exactly what you would hope based on all the pre-draft reports. Now, there was so much talk about the level of competition he faced and how polished his offensive game was because he was playing against grown men. 
despite not weighing the most, and despite his preseason ending early because of the hamstring injury, not preseason rather, but summer league, he definitely showed a wide array of the offense that people talked about him possessing in the games that he did play. And fortunately for the fans, we got to see him take on the Cavs and Mobley. We got to see him take on the Pistons and Cade Cunningham. So it wasn't as if we didn't get those high-profile matchups, and he scored in a variety of ways. More impressively, just than the volume of buckets, was the efficiency with which he did it. This was a guy in his three games who averaged over 20 points a game, but he didn't do it just chucking. He did it on solid numbers, 51% from the field, almost 53% from the three-point line. It was an even disbursement over the flow of the game. So many guys get hot and they can light you up. Cam Thomas, for example, dropped 14 or 15 in the fourth quarter yesterday when he scored his 36 points. And he's an incredible scorer, but he's also a super high-volume scorer, whereas Jalen Green was efficient. He was playing alongside other big developmental prospects like Shen Goon and Kenyon Martin Jr., Josh Christopher. All four of those guys are perceived to be big parts of the Houston Rockets' future. So he was able to make his impact known. I was extremely impressed to the point where, despite the fact that he's not really known as a creator or he might not be a big rebounder, I do think he has a solid chance to be the rookie of the year. He's my favorite uh, of the high draft prospects in terms of who I think could win because I think he is going to be a fairly prolific score right out of the gate. Now, Cade Cunningham may be the one who ends up winning simply because he chips in in all those ancillary categories. He gets assists, he gets rebounds, but call it me buying into the hype and loving the the way in which Green scores, but he's my pick for Rookie of the Year, and he's number one on my Summer League 7. Number two, Cade Cunningham. Not surprisingly. I mean, these guys were the top two prospects. They got a chance to showcase. They had the ball in their hands all the time. And Cade Cunningham is ridiculous when it comes to three-pointers. Aside from Bones Highland in Denver, nobody took as many attempts from outside the arc as Cade Cunningham amongst the rookies. And he made them at a ridiculous rate of 50%. 43% from the field, but 50% from the three-point line, dropping about 19 points, six rebounds, two assists, and 1.7 steals, 1.3 blocks. This is a guy who filled the stat sheet for the Detroit Pistons. So, and, and against the Knicks specifically, all you have to do is watch the highlights of that game to see the way in which he got his three-pointers. It wasn't just, you know, dribble down the court, set up in half court, pull up a three. He was getting kickouts. He was getting three-pointers off the move. He was getting them set up in isolation, moving both directions with his handle and and even made some from the elbows, not just the corners and the top of the key. It was all over the place. And he's going to be able to get that shot off against basically anyone because he's gigantic for a guard at 6'8". So next to the guys that Detroit has assembled, Killian Hayes is still a bit of an unknown, but this takes a lot of the pressure off of him. And then you have Bay and you have Jeremy Grant you have Isaiah Stewart. I love what Troy Weaver's doing. And obviously, it's tough to screw up the first overall pick. But that is a team that went from depressing with Andre Drummond to exciting with this core extremely quickly. Now, that brings me to the third guy on the Summer League 7. Number three. The first true upset, I suppose. 
Number three, Jalen Johnson, the 6'9", small forward, power forward of the Atlanta Hawks. You know the guy. He played at Duke. If you're a draft head, you've seen his name out there for a long time now because he's been near the top of the mocks for the past few years. Super high recruit, went to Duke, but the knock on Jalen Johnson was he didn't do as well as some might have expected, and some people question his ability to help a team win. Now, a lot of that narrative came in part because in February, Jalen Johnson decided to hang it up and go prepare for the NBA draft. So Duke was struggling. They had six games left, and he threw in the towel, if you want to phrase it that way, or he just decided, you know what? We're probably not even going to make the tournament. I'm not going to risk injury. I'm going to shut it down, and I'm going to prepare for the draft. It seems like some of that stuck with the scouts and the front office people because whether it was due to how he played at Duke versus the expectations or the fact that Duke somehow ripped off a few wins after he left and looked better. Well, Jalen Johnson slid. I mean, he slid all the way to 19, which ironically enough is the same spot John Collins was taken, who will be the primary guy in front of him. Uh, in Atlanta, along with a couple other guys, Gallinari and DeAndre Hunter. But Jalen Johnson has been nothing short of spectacular during the summer league. In the four games that have happened to this point, this is a guy who averaged 19 points, 10 rebounds, well, nine and a half rebounds, a couple of assists, and did it on great percentages. 57.5% almost from the floor, 42% from three-point land, and 82% of his free throws. So he's making these buckets. But when you watch the summer league games, you can't help but think this is a guy who is going to force Atlanta's hand to find him minutes on the floor. But it also is an interesting dilemma that they have because Jalen Johnson was doing a little bit of everything. He got a lot of throwaheads. I mean, Sharif Cooper is a guy who averaged something like nine assists a game in the summer league. And a lot of those were going directly to Jalen Johnson, who was showing everything. Corner threes getting out in transition, and even a little bit of the ability to create for other people from the forward position. So he's rangy, 6'9", he's 220, he's already got a pretty solid frame for the NBA. But the real problem lies, if you want to call it a problem, it may be a luxury. Because too often these guys get taken on bad teams, and they get dumped into these high usage roles, and you can see all their warts. But Jalen Johnson will not have a lot of expectations on him. In Atlanta. In fact, it's a bit of a logjam there. They still have Gallinari and they have DeAndre Hunter and they have John Collins, who they just re signed for a $125 million contract over five years. So the problem for him is going to be getting minutes. But with Hunter there and Gallinari and Reddish, it allows Atlanta to start planning for the future because Atlanta is in that weird position in the trajectory of their franchise where they're starting to have to pay all their stars. Trey Young got the max. John Collins just got $125 million. Capella makes $18, $19 million a year. Gallinari makes $20-something million a year. They have a lot of guys paid, and they have a lot of guys coming up on paydays. They still have not cut the next contract for guys like DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish. So maybe they end up parting ways with those guys, trade them deal one of those guys before they hit the payday for a future draft asset, and Jalen Johnson can just slide in and become the next rangy, skilled, small four, power four combo guy for the Hawks moving into the future. Now, 
That's not to say that will happen. But if you're a Hawks fan, you have to feel a lot better knowing at some point you probably can't pay everyone, and Johnson may be the benefactor of that for the next three to four seasons. Now that brings me to the next guy in my Summer League 7. And even though he's number four on my list. Number four. He's number one on the scoring list for the entire Vegas Summer League. The guy I'm talking about, of course, Cam Thomas. The shooting guard for the Brooklyn Nets. This is just, this is just ridiculous. The Nets already have three elite isolation scores in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And all three of those guys command the ball in their hands a ton. Now, when they got to where they were drafting and they picked up Sharp and they picked up Thomas, those look like good additions because both those guys were guys who were talked about considerably higher. I haven't heard some people talk about Cam Thomas within the top 10, but somehow he managed to slip all the way to 27th. And the Nets were there to benefit from that. Because when you're in a position like the Nets where you're loaded with superstar talent, all you really have to do is take the best player available. If there's a guy who's a value like that there, then you take him. And Cam Thomas picked 27th in the draft, averaging 27 points in Summer League, leading the way. And he's leading the way against everyone, not just rookies. Now, usually there are a significant amount of second-year players who dominate. Obi Toppin looks good. Trey Jones looks good. Peyton Pritchard looks good. But here's Cam Thomas, amongst all of them, scoring the most. Now, he's not doing it with hyper-efficiency. If there is one knock on Thomas, I guess, it's that this is insane usage. Not a role that will be replicable in the NBA unless the Nets suffer some major injuries, which are possible. All those guys tend to get banged up. But Cam Thomas is shooting an absurd amount of shots per game. Just for context's sake, Jalen Green shooting five or six less shots a game during the summer league. You know, last night, 36 points. 25 field goal attempts, but it still shows you the skill set. This is a guy who was tearing apart the defense with his mid-range, but he has everything. Most impressive of his offensive arsenal to me, though, was how effectively he was picking teams apart with that mid-range pull-up jumper when he would get the high pick and rolls. Anyone who gave him the littlest bit of space, he would pull up, and he was making baskets. His percentages weren't fantastic. He's not necessarily the best creator for others. He can score. Whether his long-term role is with the Nets or not, he's going to force playing time because he's just that good of a score. So if he's a super bench scorer, so be it. If he's a fill-in who only gets an uptick in offensive usage when there's injuries to the primary guys, so be it. But he's a luxury pick for the Nets at number 27. Number five. That brings me to my fifth guy, who was not what many people would call an upside pick. He was the known commodity. And one of the least flashy teams in the NBA grabbed one of the least flashy players, and it looks like a perfect fit. The Indiana Pacers and Chris Duarte. Right out of the gate from Summer League. Consistent as they come. 18 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, and here's the crazy part. On defense, 2.5 steals and almost 2 blocks a game. And he's doing it on 46% from the floor, 48% from three, making his baskets. 
contributing across the board in other ways. He was all over the place on the weak side. When guys would come in, if their handle was the least bit loose, he was ripping driving lanes, getting steals, running out in transition. He just has an immense amount of court awareness. And the thing I liked on the offensive end, he was constantly probing and looking. When Even when he didn't have the ball, he was moving without the ball, trying to find soft spots in the defense, which you have to think is going to be his role when the actual games start because he's not going to be facilitating all the time. Now, he showed he was a, a very capable creator for others. This is a guy, I mean, four assists a game, Cam Thomas had the ball in his hands entire summer league games. He, he barely averaged two assists a game. Duarte is a shooting guard. He's just a fundamentally very solid player. And in that rotation in Indiana with Levert, you don't know what his health situation is going to be. There's Brogdon, great point guard, and McConnell, and now Duarte. That's going to be a solid unit because they lost McDermott in the offseason. Duarte is that type of outside sniper with a little more ability to create for others than Doug, in my opinion. I, I think that's the potential he has anyway. That He should be able to slide right in there and play a valuable role, especially since TJ Warren is coming back off an injury brought along slowly. Duarte's going to get minutes right out of the gate, and he's playing alongside a talented team. They underachieved last year, but I expect to see the Pacers do much better this year. And I think he is looking like an excellent pick. For the Pacers. Number six. That brings me to number six on the Summer League Seven. Trey Murphy. Small Ford, New Orleans Pelicans, six foot nine, big frame, essentially a three-point sniper. And again, his contributions very similar to Duarte in that he made his buckets at an extremely efficient clip. 16 points a game, seven rebounds a game, three assists a game. Almost two steals a game, 1.3 blocks. That's filling the stat sheet. And he did it on 56% from the floor, 44% from three-point land, and he didn't miss a free throw. Now, mind you, this is all as of when I'm doing this on Monday. There are games that are going to take place today that will change this. But effectively, we've seen what we've come to see. What I love about Trey Murphy, this is a guy who was not a, a big recruit. He went to Rice. He only received six scholarship offers. They were all from mid-level schools. Now, Virginia, where he ultimately ended up, they did visit him when he was in high school, but they did not give him an offer. So he ends up 6'4", high school senior. He grows four inches his senior season. When he arrives at Rice, he's 6'8". He immediately makes an impact. By his sophomore season, he led the team in scoring, enters a transfer portal, goes to Virginia. Plays one season there. He's now grown to six foot nine. His whole game, all around game, is improved. He's become a very efficient shooter. He was from the, the moment he walked on campus at Rice, but he was doing it with more attention. So as he became primary option within the offense, he still was contributing at a ridiculous level of efficiency. This is a guy who, over three years in college, had an effective field goal percentage hovering around 60%. And he's carried that into the summer league. He's making three-point baskets, and he's doing it with supreme efficiency and minimal wasted dribbles. You watch these games, and it's kick-out after kick-out after kick-out, and Murphy is making teams pay. And he doesn't do it. And, and the other thing is, this is not a guy who dribbles a lot. When you're watching these summer league games, it's a very Clay Thompson-like. When he gets the ball, if he's open, he shoots it. 
If he's got the chance to dribble into something better, he does it, but he doesn't pound the ball. And when people are open or when people bring doubles, he finds he makes the correct play. He's going to slide into a Pelicans team where that type of role is a premium desire for them. It's something that they definitely need because they've got guys who pound the rock. They've got Zion and Ingram, big ball handlers, high usage guys, but what will open the floor up for them is a guy who can stretch the floor. And if you can do that in a six foot nine frame and serviceable defense, he could be the perfect fit. Plus, we don't even know what's happening with Josh Hart. I hope that somehow he finds his way to the Cavs. But even if he's back there, Murphy is considerably larger and he looks to be a better three point shooter. So with Lonzo out of the picture and Devontae in there, that's an even smaller backcourt, his size will be an asset. Now that brings me to my seventh guy in the Summer League 7. This was a tough choice. There was a lot of guys I kind of all lumped close. There was Kuminga. There was Scotty Barnes. There was Mitchell. There was Moses Moody. Modi Moosis. Moosis Modi. But the guy I went with, number seven. Houston Rockets center, Alpi Shengun. Shengun has just been impressive to watch. You watch him. Now, he hasn't been efficient. The reason he's as low as he, he is is because he is putting up numbers. 15 and 11, three assists, three blocks a game, but he's doing it on pretty atrocious percentages. 40% from the floor and 62.5% from the line while talking to the ball. Now, he was a professional since 2018, and he was the Turkish League MVP last year, so there wasn't a shortage of people who were calling for Shangun on draft day. Early as 8 or 9, I saw a lot of people project him to the Kings, and then he ends up sliding to 16, and the Rockets swooped. They traded two future first-round picks for the right to take Shangun at 16. And they put him alongside Jalen Green, and they put him along Josh Christopher, and they brought Kenyon Martin Jr. to Summer League, and they rolled those four out, and that looks like a formidable group of young players and he's smart you can see like the moment somebody lets their guard down or gives him an opening inbounds plays where he caught people sleeping and got easy buckets and then there's plenty of times where he just saw a weaker defender on him and he put it on the floor he looks comfortable in all facets of the game because he's not huge 610's big but against a lot of these centers he's gonna be given up height at least and you can see that reflected in his relative inaccuracy, but he definitely has the confidence. He's not shy. He will progress at those things. He will get better because he's not going to be one of these guys who just defers and then never develops the skill. And you're in year five or six, like Ben Simmons, well, year five in his case, and you're still afraid to take the shot. That's not going to happen with a guy like Shengun. He is assertive. Now, it remains to be seen what the Rockets will do when they're faced with this dilemma of prioritizing Shangun's development versus already having Christian Wood, probably their best player at the moment. But the reality of their situation is, when they brought him on, this was before the whole team imploded. And he is considerably older than most of their core. He may not be with the roster by the time these guys all develop. Plus, he's probably their best trade asset at this point. So if the Rockets choose to, in order to continue their quote-unquote tank and keep their chances of future really high draft picks in order, they may choose to ship Wood off 
and let Shangun man the middle. But if not, that tandem of Shangun and Wood should be a playable duo together because Wood can stretch the floor. He's got range. And with Olenek's departure and him heading to Detroit, that's going to open up minutes immediately for Shangun. So they can go big, they can go small and bring out Kenyon Martin Jr. or play Tate at the four. It's going to give them options. So that's it. That's my Summer League 7. Now, there were other guys I think warrant mentioning. I mentioned Scotty Barnes, James Booknight, Sharif Cooper had an excellent Summer League, Bones Highland in Denver. That looks like yet another in a long line of unheralded backup point guards for them. They found Monty Morris, Jonathan Kuminga. He looked wonderful. Efficiency was suspect, but he showed a lot of great athletic moments. You got to think he's just going to continue to progress. Miles McBride, Davion Mitchell, Moses Moody, Jalen Suggs, all of them impressive showings. Jalen Suggs, of course, cut short, but Moses Moody, that will be a fun one to watch. Off-ball contributor playing alongside elite talent. The expectations on him are going to be fairly minimal, and he was able to chip in 17 points a game. He has that ideal frame you want in an NBA wing. Tall, seven-foot wingspan. I expect good things from him. Mitchell looked fantastic. Sacramento won a lot of games in Summer League. Great efficiency, great defensive contributions. Just looks like a solid player. So those are my guys. Those are who I like most out of the rookie class. I'll cover the sophomores in the next podcast. Or I shouldn't say sophomores. We got some real old-ass people playing in the summer league still. Kenneth Fareed out there. Beasley out there. It's crazy. But we'll cover the veterans in the next podcast. But that'll do it for this one. The Fear the Fro podcast episode two. I will add it to the website at fropod.com, but you can like it. You can subscribe on any podcast platform. Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you very much. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out fropod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.